Good uh, morning, so everybody. It's good to see everybody here. Uh, you are the faithful ones, and uh, it is wonderful to be here in God's presence. Is look at a pattern uh, over two weeks. The first week, look at the pattern and look at the pilgrim. So someone in the Bible who kind of models this, who we can see at work and see what God is doing in that person's life. And then the second week, which would be this week for this first kingdom pattern, would be where we kind of begin to um, apply it to our own lives. So I'm going to share a little bit of how I've seen this in my life and then give you an opportunity to think through, uh, is God doing this in your life? Is God working this way? Are you on this pathway? Are you on this particular journey? Uh, where would you be in this particular journey? And what is God doing uh, for you or to you. So uh, for this first one, we uh, talked about Psalm 18. You stooped down to make me great. You broaden the path beneath me so that my ankles do not turn over. So we looked at this idea that God stoops down, that um, surprisingly to some of us, uh, God actually wants to make us great. We often think about God wanting to humble us. But the Word of God says that uh, God exalts the humble and humbles those who exalt themselves. So God is looking to stoop down and lift us up in order that we can be role models, in order that we can serve his purposes. So uh, we began to look at this idea that God will give us a dream. And uh, we started to look at Joseph's life as an example of this. And uh, whatever that dream, the fulfillment or the destiny is, uh, quite often, God will give us a dream or maybe a promise. Maybe God's given you some kind of promise or some kind of sense of direction in, in where he's leading you. And we imagine this kind of simple pathway. Well, you know, I, I know what that will look like. I know what that's going to happen. So in Joseph's story, if you remember, uh, we notice all these twists and turns. that God gave him a dream in Genesis 37. Uh, and in this dream, uh, it's symbolic but he sees his family, he sees others bowing before him. And foolishly or naively, he shares this dream and everything goes wrong. Or at least that's what he thinks. Everything goes wrong. And so instead of uh, this happening, I don't know what this would have looked like for Joseph. Maybe that there and then the, um, the family would have bowed down and there and then they would have said, wow, you were obviously God's anointed and we need to put you in charge of the family. I don't know what he was thinking. He was 16 years old at the time, maybe 17 years old. But actually what happens is this. His life takes a kind of different direction and instead of a, a simple pathway towards what God has called him to do, his life broadens, his experiences broaden. So he's sold into slavery and then when you think things can't get worse, um, the, the wife of the husband whom he's serving uh, accuses him of uh, kind of raping her. So then he's put into jail. And then when he's in jail, uh, he begins to prosper. He does well. He's managing the jail. And then he interprets different people's dreams. And so he thinks, maybe this is great. I'm interpreting people's dreams. And they're going to tell the king. And uh, one of the person whose dreams he interprets goes to the king and completely forgets Joseph. And he's in this place where he's so far away from what he thinks God is calling him. And yet suddenly what happens is this. Everything kind of changes. And eventually ends up not just leading his family, but leading a nation. Second in command to the most powerful man on the planet. And during this time, his family come to see him and his family do bow down before him. So this is the journey that he takes. 
And again, for us, uh, this may happen to us. We see God call us. We see God give us promises in our lives. And then things don't always go the way we plan. And we wonder sometimes, why is that happening? What is happening here? What we realize in Joseph's life, if you remember last week, we looked at this or two weeks ago, is that during this time, during this bottom half of the triangle, what God is doing is he's giving him all the different experiences and training he needs for what eventually only God knows he's calling him to do. So Joseph's dream is tiny compared to God's dream. Maybe yours is. Maybe mine is. My dream might be tiny compared to what God has. And so God trains him in this natural gifting of administration. He administrates for his father and then for a wealthy household and then for a government institution. And by the time he's suddenly given this this opportunity, he's ready. If he'd been given this opportunity too soon and without this experience, he would have fallen. His ankle would have turned on over. He would have blown it. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where your moment has come, you get a big break, and then you've blown it. I've done that several times in my life. We also know supernaturally, same situation as well, that God was growing him. We know there were four types of dreams or dream interpretation in those days. And uh, as you look at Joseph's life, you see him growing in each one of these. So when he comes to interpret for the Pharaoh, he's ready. He's practiced. He's been trained. He's recognized uh, how to do this kind of thing. And, and so it's a wonderful thing. And, uh, and what we see is this story. And what I want to do today, just for a few minutes, is begin to ask you the question, where would you be in this? Where would you be in this? And what would God say to you today? Or what do you need to say to God? We talked about the fact that sometimes in this you can eventually imagine a, a completely different pathway that's kind of parallel to what God said, but isn't what God actually said to you. We can get disheartened and disillusioned. Proverbs says, uh, hope deferred makes the heart sick. The NIV translation isn't very good. It says hope disappointed, as though hope doesn't happen, the thing you we promised didn't happen, but actually the real language means hope deferred. In other words, hope delayed. There's a promise, there's a delay. In between Joseph getting the dream at 17 or 16 years old, for something like 16 or 17 years, it was the other half of his life. He was like 30 by the time the dream actually came realized. So I work a lot with young adults, and uh, I don't know if you remember what you were like when you were younger, but quite often you kind of get a dream and you expect it to happen tomorrow. Uh, but this was a long time coming. So what does that look like for you? What does that look like for me? I want to explain just quickly, just for five minutes, maybe what that looks like for me. So I remember um, when I first started work. So he was 17 when he got his dream. I left school when I was 17. So I never went to college. I left school when I was 17. Uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I had a part-time job in retail. And so the manager of the retail company said, hey, Paul, why don't you come on our retail management course and so what happened was for two years, uh, when I first started to work, my job at 17 years old was to travel around Greater Manchester. Every two weeks, I would go to a different store where one of the managers was ill or the manager was on vacation, and I had to go in and lead the department for that manager. Can you imagine uh, if you're really experienced at what you do and a 17-year-old walks in who's super skinny with a blazer three times too big for him and a very weird haircut because it's come out of the punk scene, turns up and says, I'm your boss for two weeks. 
And, and you had to go to this little scrawny 17-year-old and ask for vacation times and ask if you can change your hours and ask, what do you want me to do today, sir? It was really, really awkward. It was phenomenal training, though. It was phenomenal training for what I do now uh, for two reasons. First of all, um, I got to know Manchester like the back of my hand. I knew where all the schools were. So six years later, when God, me, uh, God put me into schools ministry, I knew where every, every school was. I knew where all the buses went to every different school, and it was really cool. But the whole thing about it was really the training to lead people of different ages and different types was fantastic. You can't get that kind of training in Bible college. Uh, I know I treat... I teach Bible college students, and most of them don't have a clue when they leave Bible college of how to lead people. It was an amazing training. What was weird was for three years during that time, I completely backslid. Well, this is a little bit strange when I look back on it. So for three years, I went away from God. I stopped going to church, stopped reading my Bible, um, stopped praying. And yet the one thing I didn't stop was this job. It was really weird. I know it sounds odd, but I kind of knew that God wanted me in that position that there was a reason. I didn't know what the reason was, but I never left the job, even though I didn't like it very much at all. And I did it for six years. And I, when I now look back, I think it's amazing what God was doing. So sometimes there are things that God is doing in our lives and we don't realize. So I want to tell you just a quick story, something that happened to me this week that's just gone, um, uh, that kind of like explains, I think, the purpose of this in my life and then give you an opportunity to think through how does this help you in your life. So um, Obviously, I go on these trips, and sometimes when they get back, people say, what do you actually do on these trips? Like, what are you actually doing? Like, what, what is your day job? So, uh, I just got back from Brazil. Uh, when I was in Brazil, I, I go, and I go to places, a bit like Paul the Apostle. So, Paul the Apostle planted churches, and then every so often, we go back and revisit them. So, I plant pays teams, and then every so often, I go back and revisit how they are doing. So, uh, last Sunday, I was in this church, which is a um, memorial church, which is in Sao Paulo. Uh, and I was speaking on the Saturday, I did a master class. So I did a master class in something called um, Talmudine, which is a discipleship method. So it sold out, which was really cool. So I did that. That went great. We had people from all over San Paolo come and listen to that. And then on the Sunday, uh, I spoke in both the services in the morning. Um, so there's about 500 in the first one, probably about 1,000 or so people in the second service. Uh, and one of the things I do is I strategize. So when I'm there, I, I'm assessing how we're doing in that nation and what we need to do next. And uh, that week, I met with the leaders of this church about this church becoming like the, um, like the headquarters for Pays in Brazil, in Sao Paulo. So they're now thinking through how they can create or build some offices for us. Uh, they're thinking through how they can help us with some of our staff uh, funding so they would get pays as a headquarters and we would have some teams there. So that's one of the things I do. I go and I strategize. I sit down with leaders and help them think this stuff through. One of the things I do is master classes. So I'm helping with leaders think through uh, the way they do discipleship or mission or Bible study. Something that happened on Wednesday that was really interesting. That evening, uh, I went to a different church uh, in a different part of San Paolo. And this represents a different thing I do, which is recruitments. So I went to this church to see if I could recruit this church to pays and get these people on board with pays. If we could put a pays team at this church. So this church, maybe you could pray for this, is one of four churches right now in San Paolo praying about adopting one of our teams in January. Um, I'm also trying to recruit people. So I got to this church and found out the senior pastor's son is on page right now in Northern Ireland. 
And that, that day, um, a young man who sat on the front row there, we got him on stage, and with the pastor, we prayed for him and commissioned him because he's going to be a missionary with Pays in England. And then when I left um, this week, I found two more people that applied from this church. So that's another thing I do. So I go, and I'm recruiting people, and I'm doing all this stuff. So what's the purpose of this? Well, on Wednesday, oh, let me just go back. Sorry, let me mention one more thing before Wednesday. So another thing I do is I assess how we're doing. So uh, there's me preaching. So I mentor a young man called Junior. Junior is one of our national directors. So every month, um, Junior and separately about 10 or 12 other people, I take them through a discipleship program. So um, I Skype with him. We spend about an hour, an hour and a half, and I go through a subject with him one-to-one, take him through this thing called the flow, and I disciple him. And now what he does is he disciples his leaders. So in this picture, I don't know if you can see at the back, is a guy called Matthias who's Brazilian, and these are all the young men, the young boys that he disciples and he trains. So I'm training Junior. Junior's training this man called Matthias, and then Matthias was training uh, all these young men, and one of them, as you can see, is a, a young boy called Fabio. Fabio is 14 years old and already leading a Bible, a Havering Bible study in his school. Uh, some of us are scared of just reading something out. But he's 14 and he's leading one in his school. And that's what I'm doing. I'm going there to assess, is this working? Is this not working? How is this going? How can we improve this stuff? And I was really encouraged. Two years ago, I went to Brazil to see how we were doing. And I spent the whole week dealing with problems for them. This time, it was all about growth and all about moving forward, which was really, really cool. On the Wednesday, I was to speak in this place. So um, this is a conference for leaders. And I want to tell you what happened because it, it kind of helps you understand this a little bit, at least for my life anyway. So there was supposed to be 3,000. There wasn't. There was about 500 people because they had a, a problem with the administration. Um, but there were 500 leaders, so pastors, denominational leaders. It was absolutely fantastic. So the idea was that on the Wednesday night, I would speak with two or three other people. And uh, we would all be given specific questions and we would have to answer these questions without notes. We would be given 12 minutes to talk about this particular subject. So I was given this question about two weeks beforehand. This was the question I was given. Um, according to the statistics, Europe is the continent with the least number of missionaries. Currently, that is 4.3%. Despite these numbers, an Islamic acceptance is increasingly perceived, according to the Pew Research Institute, up to the year up to year 2,100, the number of Muslims may overcome the number of Christians around the world. Europe represents today a huge challenge linked with a great opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Please explain what the church's response needs to be. So that was my question. It's kind of kind of thing I'm given to do. And I had to respond to that. So I had to work out what would be my answer to all these different leaders, these pastors and these congregation leaders. Um, I would be given 12 minutes, no notes on a panel. No problem. That's fine kind of thing I do, fine, absolutely fine. What happened, though, was a bit different from how it's supposed to go. So uh, this is a picture of me in the panel. Um, so uh, there's me and there's a couple of other guys who are also doing this and some of our translators. So in between us, there are translators because obviously it's Brazil. I don't speak Portuguese, still working on English. Um, so I, I would sit there and uh, this, is this is what happened. So the first guy who's on the far left is a, a Spanish guy who's a president of a denomination in Spain that's doing really well. He's planting churches all over Spain. He's planting churches all over Europe. So he's given his question, and for 12 minutes with a few other questions, uh, he shares what he thinks about this particular question, different question from mine. And that's great. It's all, all good and dandy. 
And then uh, Vishal uh, Mangawadi, I don't know if you've heard of Vishal Mangawadi, he's a kind of a heavyweight theologian and philosopher. He's Indian, uh, he's written countless books, kind of really well-known um, theologian in the, in the Christian world. He, he, me and him were next to each other. So Vishal, he's given his question, and off he goes, and he's fine, does a great job, really, really interesting. And then it comes to me. So I've got, um, I've got this, this guy who's just given a great answer. Vishal has just given a, a pretty good answer as well. And then I'm about, I've got my, you know, in my head, I've got everything sorted, I'm about ready to go. And the, um, the interviewer says, so Paul, so, um, you know, he introduces me, he says, this is Paul Gibbs, got missionaries all around the world, blah, blah, blah. Um, okay, Paul, so here's your question. And he's looking, and he can't find the question anywhere. And he's looking on the floor, he can't find it. So he just randomly makes up an entire new question on something to do with, University education. I don't know anything about university. I didn't even go to college. So in front of hundreds and hundreds of leaders, this guy asked me some completely random question because he's completely forgotten the question. And you probably saw the length of the question. You couldn't memorize that question. So I've now literally got seconds to, to think of 12 minutes of ministry. So what I've got to do is I've got to pivot really quickly. Now, I hate using a translator because you can't use your humor, uh, which is all about timing. Uh, a lot of things don't translate. I hate using the translator. In this moment, I praise God for my translator because I just said, well, it's great to see you, and I just said a few things about how great it was to be in Brazil because it would give me time when this translator interpreted, because what I had to do now is I had to create 12 minutes of ministry. So that meant I had to work out what my end goal would be compared to this subject. I wanted to work out how I could pivot to get on a different course from what he's just asked me. And I had to work out like the three or four steps towards what my end goal was. And I had literally about 20 seconds. It wasn't a problem. Bizarrely, it wasn't a problem. Because at a minute, I'm thinking, oh my goodness. And then as I'm working out, I realize this is not a problem for me. And I realize the reason it's not a problem is because of this. Because the breadth of stuff over the last 25 years that God has given me to do. And so I, wasn't, I didn't have to try and try in that moment. I'd been trained for that moment. Does that make sense? And I could just pull on all this different experience, all these different ideas, all these different things I'd known, and I was able to pivot and create something. And I'll be honest with you, I couldn't get out of the, I couldn't get out of the building that night for, for about an hour and a half. So many people wanted to see me about what, what we said and what we talked about. It was, it was fantastic. I had all sorts of things went on, and it was wonderful. So it was a really brilliant night. I could have completely blown it, though. If I'd have just gone from being a schools worker and suddenly turned up at this meeting, you know, with my little object lessons, I'd have completely blown it. But God stoops down, broadens our path, and prepares us for the things he has in store for us. So what does that mean for us, and what does that mean for you and I? So at the beginning of this series, we said that um, when we allow God to transform our mind, when we go through these different um, pathways, there are three things that happen. He will help our prayers be more effective. So when we understand God's will in our lives and we're aligned with it, our prayers will become more effective, our actions will become more anointed, and our decisions will become clear to them. So what advice could I maybe share with you? What could we maybe take note of? I would encourage you this. That we have to have patience, not force. The Word of God says, if you abide in me 
and my words abide in you, you can ask anything you want and you will receive it. Don't give up praying and try and force the issue instead. You know, you can be in one of these situations, going here, not sure what's going on, and suddenly we force God's will. Probably the most famous story of this would be Abram and Sarah, if you know the story of Abram and Sarah. So when we first kicked off this series, we talked about Abram being the first pilgrim. Here's a man who's given God's direction, who's told he will be a father of a nation, and yet this is what the Word of God says. In Genesis 16, verse 1 and 2. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him. But she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. I want you to go sleep with my servants. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram, foolishly, doesn't say in my Bible, but foolishly, agreed with Sarah's proposal. And if you know anything about history, you know what happened. This creates two brothers that war against themselves and their descendants have warred against each other for thousands of years. It created a complete and absolute mess because what Sarah and Abram do is they try and force God's promise to happen instead of waiting patiently and praying for that. Uh, many years ago, forgive me if I've told this story, but many years ago, um, um, in the 80s, in the late 80s, um, someone was praying for me and had this impression and said, Paul, as I'm praying for you, I see this picture of a colt, which, you know, a baby horse or a young horse, and it's in the field and it's tearing, it's, it's, it's um, roped to a fence. And in, in the other pen, all the big horses are playing and frolicking and this little baby horse is pulling at this this leash and trying to gnaw its way out so it can jump into the big pen. But if it does, it's going to get crushed by the bigger horses. And God is saying to you that you are like that young cult and you're not going to try and force and jump into something you're not ready yet for. And around that time, it was interesting when I look back, because around that time, I've been reading lots of books on great missionaries like Hudson Taylor, if you know the story about Hudson Taylor and Jackie Pullinger and some of these great people in the past. And I really wanted to be there, but I realized now I'd have been crushed. I'd have been crushed by the experience. So we have to be patient. We can't force what we feel God has promised to us. Because um, when God gives us these things, we have to be ready for them. You know, there's a, a, a saying, it's not in the Bible, but I love it. It's that God hasn't hidden things uh, from us, but for us at the right time. So God hides things for us, and at the right time, he gives us those things. Uh, the second thing was this, is that uh, vision comes to us usually as a theme, not a target. 1 John 2 verse 20 says, but you have anointing from the Holy One and all of you should know the truth. So here's the problem, when, when we see vision as a target, when that thing goes wrong, we can get very disheartened, can't we? You ever had that? When you, when you have a promise and it doesn't seem to be working out, it can affect your spiritual walk with God. It can be really, really difficult. But actually, many cases, many times in the Bible, uh, vision isn't a target. It's a theme. So Abraham was told he would be the father of nations. It wasn't given to specifically what it actually would be. 
And I want to encourage you that God will probably give you a theme more than he's going to give you a target. It's sometimes more generic than it is specific. Abram's theme was to be the father of a nation. A theme becomes clearer over time. So at first, it seems really blurry. And eventually, over time, it becomes a little bit more specific. And our job is simply to be faithful in that time as God clarifies things. As God clarifies things. And be faithful with whatever he gives us. So last week, I'm on a stage, 500 leaders. It's a wonderful experience. I get to do the thing I absolutely love to do, which is to lead leaders or help people think through kind of some big issue stuff. I think back to years ago, and I was remembering this week um, all the weird things that I ended up having to do. I remember going as a schools worker to help another guy who was a schools worker and train him in schools work. And when I got there, he said, I need you to help me with my, my biggest issue. He said, I've got this real problem I don't know what to do about, and I really need to think it through. Maybe you're the guy to help me. I said, okay, fair enough. Young, I'm a young lad at the time. Okay, what can I help you with? He said, I'm going into schools. He says, right. He says, lots of young people, hundreds, hundreds of young people. Great. He says, he says, I'm not very good at fashion. Can you tell me what to wear? I'm like, what do you mean? He says, well, I'm not very good. And he wasn't. He was pretty like, you know, like he wasn't very fashionable. He was going into schools and kids were laughing at him more. He didn't feel. So I spend the day with him, taking him to shops in Top Man and River Island, basically as his personal shopper for half a day. And what made it worse, uh, what, uh, what made it worse, I know you're looking at me thinking, Paul, what can you teach anybody? But he was, e- he was even worse. What made it worse was I get him home and his wife has a pop at me. So his wife, he walks in, he takes all these things out. He just bought at these trendy shops in Manchester, well, not Manchester, wherever he, he lived. And his wife starts having an attack him. She says, why is it, why is it, I've been telling him to get fashionable for 10 years, and you come along, and he suddenly goes and buys all this stuff, and she gets, and they have this old domestic. And I'm thinking, this is not what I signed up for at all. And uh, maybe that's like you. Uh, maybe there are times when you're thinking, this is not what I signed up for. Uh, this is not what I thought God had for me. This is not what I thought God was, this is not the pathway God was taking me. I don't understand why this is, this is happening to me right now. I did not sign up for this. If your vision is a target, you will just drop away. Well, I'm not going to put the same energy into that. I'm not going to be quite as committed to that as I would have been if it was going right. But if your vision is a theme, it's different. If your your vision is a theme, it's not relying on one thing going well or not. You know, my life's always been working with a local church and then working with pays. And the benefit of that sometimes, although it can be difficult at times, is that sometimes one of those things isn't going so well. Uh, but it's not too bad because the other one might be going well at the same, you know, like one's difficult but the other one's going okay. Because I'm susceptible, like we all are, to the fact that when things, when the vision's not going good, it affects our commitment. And we stop being faithful. And one of the most important things we can learn in the Christian life is when we say we're going to do something, do it. Other people might not be faithful. Other people might let you down. Other people might be uncommitted. You do what God told you to do. And in that process, he shapes that faithfulness within us. Um, There's a great phrase somebody once said that just comes to my mind, which is, uh, never cut down a tree in wintertime. Never cut down a tree in wintertime. Maybe you've heard it. Why? Because in wintertime, look around now, some of the trees look dead. Actually, they're, they're completely alive, just as much as they were in summer. Something's going on under the surface. 
And sometimes we, we cut something down in wintertime, not realizing that there's something going on under the surface. And you may feel like you're in wintertime now. You may feel like a long way from what God's called you to do, but never stop being committed to wherever it is that God said to you. Last thing. It's about calling, not gifts. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Um, I think understanding, the reason I like to do this stuff and help people with this is that I think understanding helps us a lot. So um, on Friday, just before I got on the plane, um, when I travel, I don't go to hotels. I normally stay with families or couples who are involved in the ministry I'm, I'm part of. So um, normally, you know, the pastor finds somebody with a really nice house and you stay there. And that's what happened this week. I stayed in the hills of San Paolo. It's a beautiful home with a swimming pool. And there were monkeys in the trees. Although I, every kept telling me there's monkeys in those trees, but I could never see them. Uh, and it was nice. And, um, uh, and the, the family, he was a businessman. And Marcia, he's called Brian Marcia, um, is a ballet teacher. So she has her own ballet uh, her own ballet studio. So it's kind of nice. Nice setup, really. Beautiful house. Nice lawn, swim pool, and then she's got her own little ballet studio. And uh, while I was there, different people were coming during the week to learn ballet. And uh, they said to me, um, hey, before you go, we'd like to sit down with you and just ask you to help us think through something. I'm thinking, let's hope it's not a ballet. Um, and we're sat down, and she, s- she says, I need you to help me with my vision. I, need, I-, I don't understand what's happening right now. I thought God was going to do this. And he seems to be doing this. And it was bizarre because I just preached on this, of course. And she's literally telling me I feel like I'm doing this. So um, I did the diagram with her. But the key thing that she was doing was she, was she was asking the wrong question. Her question to God was, God, how do you want to use my ballet skills? How do you want to use my gifting? And I said to her, that's actually the kind of questions the pagans used to ask. What Jesus said to him is, don't be like the pagans, seek first the kingdom of God. So your question needs to be, God, what is the calling, what is your dream, and how do my gifts serve that? And uh, without going through it now, we kind of, I asked a few different questions, and I helped her to just reconfigure the question she was asking. And when I drew this, everything apparently made sense. She would say, oh, well, that's why this happened, that's why this happened, that's why this happened. And, and we have to realize it's, it's about his dream, not ours. It's about his dream, not ours. This is not about, Christianity is not about God saying, uh, I've created you, go and have your own dream, and if you do it the right way, I'll bless you. That's not what Christianity is. Jesus said, I've, I've come, I've died for you, I'm recruiting you for my purposes, and you've got all these different gifts, and this different personality, and this different way of thinking, and, and and I want to show you through a process how that fits in to my vision and my dream in this world. And as we become aligned to that, as we become aligned to his vision, our decisions become clearer. Our prayers become more effective because we pray in his will. And our actions become more anointed. In other words, the things we do for him do not become easier, they become more effective. And so this morning, I thought we would just uh, begin to uh, reflect on that a little bit. And I wanted us to begin to ask the question, what, does, what is God thinking about us and our journey right now? If this is about shaping our faithfulness, if God is taking us through this process to train us for what he has in, in the future, and if the key is faithfulness, 
What would God say to us right now? How would God say that to us? So we have this little exercise we do in church every so often, and you may have seen us do this before. I'm just going to Ryan just to, to come, and Ryan's going to play, and we're going to uh, finish in a, in a few minutes. But I want to just um, help us reflect on this. So um, what we do in our Havering Bible study is at one point we ask this question. Um, we, we put ourselves into uh, a person or a character in the Bible and just contemplate and think, what was going on? Why did that person do that? What was that person thinking? So today, uh, it says, choose the character and verses you want to interpret. So we're going to look at Genesis 40, verse 21 to 23. And the character we're going to put ourselves in the place of and meditate on is God. What was God thinking? Literally, what was he thinking during this time? The verse is this. He restored the chief bearer to his position... So once he could again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he uh, impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph has said to him in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. So just to explain, Joseph gets the dream. All goes wrong. Gets sold into slavery. Heads up a household. During that time, God prospers him. Wife accuses him of nearly raping her. He gets thrown into jail. God uses him in jail to be the administrator. And two people, the cupbearer and the chief baker, come to him with a dream. He interprets the dream. He says to the baker, You're going to be, the, the king's going to kill you. And he says to the cupbearer, the, the king's going to restore you to your position. And when he does, tell the king about me. Remember me. And what happens is this, the cupbearer is restored and completely forgets Joseph. And what does, Joseph doesn't know at the time is he's going to completely forget him for two years. Two years later, he's going to remember. So Joseph got to rot in jail for another two years. Now, rather than us putting ourselves in a position of Joseph, which I would think would be really easy, can you imagine that? You think, what on earth is going on? Even, even now as I'm interpreting people, I'm doing all the right things and it's still going wrong. God's using me in this jail and it's still going wrong. People are still forgetting me. I'm completely lost there. We could probably all feel that. But my question is, what was God thinking? What do you think God would have wanted to say to Joseph? So, so God obviously didn't tell Joseph why this was happening, but God knew. Uh, and the way we do this uh, is called a drash. And a drash is something that um, they used to do in biblical times. And what we do is we uh, rewrite the verse from someone's perspective. In this, in this case, God's. So what was God thinking? So the way I would play this is, what we're going to do is, Ryan's going to play something, and we're just going to meditate. You don't have to do this if you don't want to. But what I'd like you to do is, on your phone, just do this. Rewrite that little passage from the perspective of God. If you were telling the angels what you were up to, what would you say? If you were telling the angels what we were up to, what would you say? What would you say to the angels? Well, you might say, well, uh, I'm, you know, the, the chief cupbearer is restored to his position. Um, I had the chief baker impaled. Uh, and then Joseph was forgot. What Joseph didn't realize was I was doing this in Joseph. What would that be? Does that make sense? So I'm going to give you just a couple of minutes. We've done this before, and uh, some of you know how to do this because you regularly do it in Havarim. But I'd just like you to do that. It says this, a retell the story, fill in the gaps. Whatever you do, don't change the facts. 
So just kind of rewrite a little bit from God's perspective and just jot down what you think God was thinking. So I'm going to ask you to do that on your phones if that's okay. Or a piece of paper. Okay, I just want to finish with this uh, one last thought that um, is from the book. So we, we have, if you're ever interested, there is a book on this. So um, this is, talks about uh, Sydney Harbour Bridge. I don't know if everybody's seen Sydney Harbour Bridge. Sydney Harbour Bridge won all sorts of awards and was the largest bridge of its type up until 2012. It's held various records, yet perhaps one of the more profound structural elements is it only contains 16 nuts and bolts in the whole bridge. The bridge is held together almost completely by six million rivets. Why? Well, when this bridge was designed, it was never meant to be dismantled. The same can be said of God's promises. They span from the moment a dream is given to the moment that it is fulfilled. So acknowledging that a particular dream may be part of something much bigger than you will allow you to wrap your life around something more substantial than you. Remember, shortcuts bring only momentary gains, but diamonds are forever. I <laughs> see what I did there. <laughs> so remember that, guys, that um, God, is, God is taking us through this journey because there are things that he wants to, to grow in us and build in us, and faithfulness is key. Okay, stop laughing at my little joke. Let's just move on a little bit. I'm sorry I made it now. <laughs> <laughs> No, that is not a hint, Lynn. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, so God is faithful. God is faithful, isn't he? And uh, this morning we sang, uh, Come All You Faithful. And uh, let me just say this. I, I, I like to, I'm the kind of person who's, who speaks about the elephant in the room um, when, you know, nobody else will. So today uh, our numbers are low, but it's important to think how does that affect me in my own walk and when I'm hearing something. Like, you know, I preach this in front of, hundreds and hundreds of people, and sometimes it feels different, but it's still the same Word of God. And we have to be careful that the way we hear the Word of God isn't, isn't affected too much by the atmosphere around us. And so you are the faithful ones. God is here, and uh, you, you're here this morning. You've you put yourself in that place to hear God's Word, and I believe God wants to bless you and speak to you. And so we're going to sing, Come All You Faithful, if that's okay, Ryan, uh, one more time, and uh, just be blessed by that. And as we pray... Um, if anybody would like, so as we sing, if anybody would like prayer, uh, I'd love to pray for those people, and then Matt will close, uh, but we'd love to pray for you, so if you'd like prayer, if this is relevant to you, and you feel like you want just a, God to help you in your faithfulness, or your walk with him, or wherever it might be, or you need prayer for someone else, then please just go to the corner, we don't parade you in front of everybody, just go to the corner over there, and uh, I'll be there, and I'd love to pray with everybody, so let's stand, and uh, Let's ask the Lord to help us. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for this beautiful morning today. We thank you for Christmas when we remember Advent that you came. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that you came not just simply to rescue us, but to recruit us for your purposes. So as we think about the journey that we're on, as we imagine where we might be uh, right now, I pray that you'd help us wherever we feel we are in this in this analogy of the diamond, that you would just help us be faithful with what you've given us for the sake of lows on the journey with us, as Andre said, for the sake of trusting in you, as Miriam said, Lord, for the sake of your great plan that Mike, ta uh, Mike talked about, Lord, and for, Lord, as David just reminded us, Lord, you, you always are with us. You never forget us, Lord. Help us remember all these things we pray. In your name we ask it, Lord. Amen. Amen.